0: This is the Little Red Bandwagon podcast, the podcast about... Nope, I'm starting over. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> I even wrote myself a script and then I <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> Bandwagon, the podcast about the podcast too beautiful to live. This is one of our Friday episodes where we interview you, one of the tens of listeners. I'm Christy in Linwood, Washington, and today I'm joined by Anne Lundholm in the Stick of Butter Studios. Hello, Anne. Hello, Christy. Hi. Um, I'm excited because today I am joined by not one baker, but two bakers. So I'm pleased to introduce you to Andrea Ballard from Olympia, Washington. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, What I'm really sad about is that I have two of like the best bakers in the world, and yet I have no baked goods. <laughs> I concocted well, this episode to try to get them to send me things so I could eat them on the air while they talked. Well, <laughs> the problem,
1: it, Christy, is you waited too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, if it makes you feel better, I do have brownies in the oven right now, and they're supposed to be life changing brownies.
0: Oh. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help me. Yeah. That doesn't help at all. Well,
1: I'll I'll give it a test run and then okay. I'll I'll monitor my life and if I see a significant
0: change, I'll send you some. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I do have Girl Scout cookies though. Oh. So I could oh. That's not nothing. Yeah. What do you guys like Girl Scout cookies? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite? What's your favorite? Thin mint. Okay. From the freezer or regular? Freezer. Yep. Gotta do it. Freezer. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Anne? I like the ones that I don't know what I'm supposed to call anymore. That we (laughs) used to call Samoas. Yeah. But everybody in the rest of the country used to call Caramel Delights. And now they're called Caramel Delights. And that's just
0: wrong. Well, do you know that there's a weird story about that? Is that there's actually two um, bakeries that that manufacture them so it depends on where you are in the country as to what they're called here they're all they're called samoas oh but I, I thought they changed it so that everybody was on the same page no not this year
1: i i've seen samoas hmm. oh I, th- I thought it was because they were trying to be like culturally sensitive well they should yeah i didn't know it <laughs> had the, anything to do with the bakery and
0: when i was a girl scout they were called kookaburras what <laughs> i thought that was australian yeah well, they were kind of all like an Australian type theme. Huh. Weird. Yeah.
1: You know, that know what was, was a million
0: years ago, though. Uh, I'm very old.
1: When I was a Girl Scout, my mom would drop me off on Sunday mornings in random neighborhoods with my little red wagon full of Girl Scout cookies. And I would go door to door knocking on strangers' doors, asking them to buy my Girl Scout cookies. And then my mom would pick me up like four hours later. And I was probably. I don't know, nine, 10 years old.
0: Yeah, the, I did the same thing. And now kids God. just get to stand at grocery stores know, or their isn't... parents take it to work. Oh,
1: yeah, I know. They have it easy. <laughs> they should be knocking those records out of the ballpark now.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, I was like, I'm not buying any Girl Scout cookies this year, only because I just don't want to like eat all of them. But then I read that um, some people are boycotting them. Oh. because of um letting transgender children in. Uh, so I said I'm buying them. Take all oh, my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah. I'm I'm definitely going to be supportive that. <laughs> right. I, I can right. I can fill a freezer with some thin mints.
0: Yeah. And and it's weird because I don't usually like chocolate or mint, but something about putting them in the freezer mm-hmm. changes it. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. The funny thing is I first
1: put them in a freezer because I read about it as a tip to keep you from eating more because I think their theory was if they're frozen, they'll be harder to chew. But I mean, I just powered right through them. Like my... Absolutely. (laughs) My teeth have no problem with a frozen (laughs) thin mint. That's not even a challenge. That's...
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's... Oh, and I was wrong. Cuckoo bears were like a chocolate covered situation. Hmm. I would eat those too. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. they don't make them anymore. But they so this year they have a new s'mores. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty delicious. Mm. They're they're highly coveted because they didn't realize that they were going to be very popular. Oh. Um, so you can't. They're really hard to find. But I scored a box last night. I'm gonna have to go cruise some <laughs> grocery stores this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> go off my normal to-
1: beaten path. Just go to a
0: shady neighborhood, see if you can find some Girl Scouts hanging on on a corner. Some <laughs> wagons. <laughs> all right. I guess we don't need to keep talking about Girl Scout cookies. Um. All right, Anne. Would you like to do start your interview of Andrea? I, I would. Well, uh, Andrea and I are fast friends
2: already. We have talked before yes. because Andrea is the host of the fantastic baking podcast, Preheated, that I have talked about several times on LRB before. And um, it's going to be a real struggle, I think, for me to just not talk to you about baking (laughs) the whole time (laughs) and about Preheated. But um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is what was your impetus for wanting to start Preheated and have a
1: podcast? Oh, um, well... I think one of the things was you on Little Red Bandwagon. You would give your – Do go on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's now more about Ann. You would give your updates, and I think it was like it was bar month, and it was raspberry bars. And so, you know, I was just – every week, I love – little red bandwagon, but I was always I like, gosh, I hope An's on and giving us a, a baking mm-hmm. update. And then I think about the same time right around there, Jeremy posted something somewhere about if anyone wants to start a podcast, I could help them. And that was the first time I ever thought like, oh, I like I could do this and he could help me. And mm-hmm. so it just kind of went from there. I started thinking about what I could talk about that I had kind of anything I could sustain interest in for more than a couple of weeks, because I get bored very easily. (laughs) And um, baking came to mind. And then my friend, Stefan, we had kind of fallen out of touch, because when I moved from Seattle to Olympia, you know, you just kind of get busy, and you don't see people as much anymore. And I knew she liked to bake. And every time we got together, we talked about baking. So I thought, this is going to be crazy, but I wonder if she would want to do this with me. And so I called her and asked her and, you know, I kind of pre-scripted my request. And at the end of the conversation, I was like, I don't want to put you on the spot. You know, you can think about it. And she was like, I'm in, I want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's great.
2: And I have to confess that, uh, I am much more of a Stefan than an Andrea when it comes to baking, when we talk about (laughs) how she always follows the recipe exactly Mm -hmm. and sort of is very organized all about it. And you're like, let's see what I have in the cupboard. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to change this. (laughs) And half the time I listen to you and I'm just
1: horrified. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. It's horrible. But, um, you know, it usually works out. And uh, I always like to say, like, worst case, you just eat your mistakes. So
0: (laughs) do you write down when you, when you make these little tweaks so that you can I do now?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I print, I print out the recipe and as I'm making it, I actually write things down. Yeah. So I can talk about it later.
0: And, I just have to say that is the best name. I can't believe that it wasn't already taken. I know that was Stefan's idea. (laughs) We did a little
1: brainstorming and she had a list of about 12 to 15 names. And I was looking down the list and as that one was like number eight or number 10. And I, the minute I saw it, I was like, Oh, that's it. There is another preheated podcast, but I think it's something sexual. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it only has like five episodes, so I'm hoping eventually we will just drown them out. Take it over. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Well, and Um, I would hope
2: that anybody who was going to check it out would figure out pretty quickly that this was the
1: wrong (laughs) wrong (laughs) podcast. I mean, we get, you know, hot and steamy, but only about baked goods.
0: Right. So how, so we know how it started. How do you do your episodes? You pick, you kind of have a cooking month, right? We do. Like we, Anne does with mm-hmm. bars or
1: whatever. Yeah, we pick a theme for every month. We just sold that directly from Ann. We like that <laughs> idea. So like March is Puddings and Custards Month. And um so we bake one recipe per week and we each bake it and then we get together and review and talk about it.
0: That is interesting. And but where is where is Stefan? She's in Seattle. Okay. And you do this. Over like the internet, like we do, you're not in the same room. We do, we just do everything Jeremy told us to do. We're both <laughs>
1: technically <laughs> challenged. So we had our meeting with Jeremy, which, you know, I just. I don't know Jeremy I and mean, he just threw this out there and I was like hey could you help us and he was like absolutely and I thought this is so random and, and weird you know <laughs> and of course I told Stefan like hey my friend Jeremy's gonna help us because I did I thought how can I even explain to her who right. <laughs> Jeremy is and you know and then right before we got on the phone with him I thought you know I, sh- I probably should tell her that I don't actually you know I know him or have ever met him. <laughs> and, <laughs> And so I, I did kind of give her a heads up, like, you know, hey, if he gets on the phone and he's really weird or, you know, says some bizarro things, just so you know, I've never actually met the guy. So <laughs> who knows what she was thinking? Right. But of course, he got on the phone and he was, you know, just absolutely wonderful, totally professional, told us everything to do. We made, you know, crazy mad notes and then just followed everything he told us to do.
0: That's awesome. It's good yeah. that you listen to him the first time because he's done that same meeting with multiple people. They go off that and then come back months later and say, oh, I should have listened and are buying all new equipment and doing everything over again. Oh. So it's good that you listened right the first time. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, we knew, I mean, we knew we didn't know what we were doing and and we even listened to him on the, the non equipmenty stuff. Like he made the comment about, are you going to have guest appearances? And both Stefan and I were like, well, yeah, once we once we get really good at this, you know, once we really know what we're doing and we understand it and, you know, we're professional quality, then we'll invite some people on. And he was like, hey, do that a lot sooner, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> just go ahead and do it. And and so that's when I thought, well, maybe Anne, because I just yeah. thought she's so nice and I know she has the equipment <laughs> and I, yep. I felt like you would be generous with us if we just totally, you know, bumbled the whole thing. So um, Anne was our first guest. And so that worked out really well.
0: Yeah. And I had so much fun. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It was a great, it's a really great episode. It's episode number six. If anyone wants to hear that. And Anne talked about her triple peanut buttery goodness, crazy cake. And you Uh, just brought that in for your birthday. No, I made something different for my birthday. Well, it uh, looks exactly like how you explained it. <laughs> it
2: kind of does. I, for my birthday, I made, uh, like a classic chocolate buttermilk cake with three ah. tiers. And then I did an Oreo cream filling in between them and what? a milk chocolate frosting.
3: Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> and my intention was to do these, like, um, like swoops and floops of uh, more chocolate frosting on the top and then do the whole like Oreo halves and things along and make it very professional looking. But just before I decided to do that, I thought I better check and see how it fits in the cake carrier. (laughs) And there was like a quarter of an inch of clearance because it was so tall. And I thought, okay, no floops and Oreos. It's just going (laughs) to be a plain cake. (laughs) Thank goodness you checked it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've had that problem before. Mm. It has to be able to be carried in the cake carrier. Otherwise, it's going to be yep. a bad ending.
0: No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll definitely put a link to that specific show and Andrea's show. Obviously, check them all out, but specifically Ann's.
1: Yeah. Aw,
0: thanks, Christy. <laughs> and Anne, what's your month? So Andrea has custards and puddings, and you're doing... I'm not doing any months right now. Uh, you mean you quit year. baking?
2: No, oh. I am still baking from the book that Meredith gave me for Christmas. That's all Bundt Cakes. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're but, Bundt
1: Cake. Yeah. Yes.
2: But then I think after listening to Pie Month on Preheated, I am just mm. feeling this craving for pies. So I might switch to pies and just make pies as long as I feel like it for a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's no bad time to make a pie. I mean, I think I booked
2: bookmarked three out of the four pies that you mm-hmm. talked about, so <laughs> I got to get on that.
0: And Andrea, you recently got to be a judge at a pie contest. Well, I'm in charge of the judging
1: at the oh, okay. yeah, at the Olympia. Whoa. I know. <clears throat> at the Olympia <laughs> Pie Fest. So I I entered the Olympia Pie Fest for a couple of years and I could not win and I wrote like a strongly worded letter to the <laughs> committee about, you know, all the reasons I I thought that I, I wasn't winning and um, the lovely lady who runs the event was like, wow, you have lots of interesting ideas. Would you like to help us? Um, so, <laughs> so I got involved with the group. It's, it's actually one of the things on my resume I'm most proud of being a member of the Olympia Pie Bakers Guild. And there's eight of us, and we exist pretty much to put on Pie Fest every year. And it's a fundraiser for the food bank and the senior nutrition program in our community. But the pie baking contest is a big piece of the fundraiser. So I do recruit all of the judges, and I do the score sheets, and I give them instructions. And then um, we move the first round of winners on to a group of professional judges, so bakers uh, who make their living baking in our community, and they pick. The
0: grand prize winner, wow.
1: and this year,
0: this year was the most unusual sounding pie I've ever heard of. That one, yeah, I thought it was
1: really weird. So a lot of times, the pie that wins is one that's I call it a Pinterest pie. You know, it's just beautiful. You mm-hmm. you look at it, and it's like a, got rosettes, or you know, some sort of intricate lattice work, or someone like knitted a cover <laughs> of crust for it. Um, this one was not that way. It was very normal pie looking and it was an oatmeal pie. So what did it taste like? I think it (laughs) tasted like a pecan pie without the pecans. Interesting.
0: Mm. Because I imagine a giant oatmeal cookie in a crust.
1: Yeah, I had no desire to try it because I'm not an oatmeal person, but then once I heard that it was the winner, I ran (laughs) back to the judging room (laughs) to see if there were any little crumbs left. (laughs) (laughs) And I found some little Pieces of it, and i
0: I tried those, and I was like,
1: "Oh, okay, I get this." It's kind of like a chess pie, too. I think if you've ever had a chess pie, it's a little bit mm-hmm. like that.
0: Because I would try. I I don't normally like pies, but I would I would get down with some oatmeal pie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think you should get the recipe and start tweaking it. Maybe do chocolate oatmeal. Mm. Oh, that sounds good,
1: good. Christy. <laughs> you've got some baker chick. In
2: you. <laughs> hey. <When is> <laughs> Well, I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about work, too. Because as I was frizzling around your page, your <laughs> Facebook page, um, I I see that you uh, have your own business. Is that correct? It is. You You are an HR uh, trainer and recruiter and mm-hmm. consultant, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I wanted to ask about the decision that led you to start your own business. Because I feel like I need the security of being in a company and to sort of take that leap seems crazy to me, but what made you want to strike out on your own?
1: Yeah. um, It's good that you're asking me five years after I did it because I have better (laughs) perspective. Um, At the time, my husband and I did this together. So we were living in Seattle. We had a daughter who was about to start kindergarten. We were both working full-time plus jobs. And I would describe my life at that point as like hamster on a wheel. You know, I was just always working. I felt like I kind of hardly ever got to see my daughter. We were always busy. Um, You know, Saturdays and Sundays were just errands and trying to get caught up on stuff so I'd be ready for the next week ahead. And one day I was having a really rough day. I was talking on the phone with... One group to try and get my daughter into a before school daycare program for kindergarten and then a different group for the after school daycare daycare program. And then the school itself, I was on a waiting list. And, you know, it was just kind of like, how am I even going to do all of this? And my husband called me. He was on his way home from Olympia. He had had lunch with his best friend from law school. And she was always saying to him, you should move down here and practice with me. You should move down here and practice with me. And he called just right at the time I was kind of at my tipping point. And he said, you know, once again, she wants us to move down to Olympia. And Uh, Start a practice with her and would you ever consider moving to Olympia? And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you would? And then I kind of paused and said, well, maybe I should visit it first. (laughs) (laughs) I had never actually been. I mean, it's only 67 miles south of Seattle, but I had never been there. So I came down and I looked around the town and I loved it. It's a small town, it's a state capital. Um, it's just got really great people here. It's small enough that you know a lot of people, but it's big enough that you don't have everyone up in your business. And um, we just sort of took the leap. We both quit our jobs, we sold our house, we moved to Olympia and you know, in one year we both started new businesses. Our daughter started a new school. We were living a new place. Um, you know that's why I said it's good to talk to me now. At that time, there was kind of one to two years of, oh my gosh, what were we thinking? But now on the other side of it, it, it's really worked out. We both love this town. We love the new friends that we've made. We love the schools that our daughters in. We both love our businesses, so it ended up working out. But it was scary, and and I. I don't think I could have done it on my own. It kind of helped having, ah. having some support. Although now that I think about it, that's, it's almost even crazier for both breadwinners <laughs> <laughs> to yeah. quit their jobs at the same yeah. time.
2: But it was like, like you held hands and jumped, sort of.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, too, it was um, – we're both the kind of people that it's better not to give us any options to fail, you know, mm-hmm. like like we, we sold our house when we moved. We didn't, you know, a lot of people said, well, why don't you just rent your house out, you know, and then try it. But we kind of knew our personalities. If we had an option to slip back into what was comfortable and familiar, we knew we would. And so we kind of said, no, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to really um, be all in. And so it, it helped to both have that same philosophy.
2: Oh, that's so cool.
0: I know.
1: I want to learn
2: how
0: to be like you, Andrea. (laughs) I know. It's making me nervous just thinking about it. Like, even though it all worked out, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that.
1: It is funny thinking. I, I cannot tell you how much time I spent thinking about health insurance. Like, I literally had nights and nights and nights and nights and nights about thinking about health insurance when we were thinking about doing it. And of course, this was prior to ACA. And so, you know, it's just the whole thing of like, am I going to be able to get insurance? What about pre-existing conditions? And, you know, and all this stuff. And now it's like, I look back on that and I go, that's so funny that I spent so much time worried about that one thing. Like, I just, you know, I found health insurance and I pay for it and it's ridiculously Mm -hmm. expensive, but it's like- You know, again, we just put ourselves in a situation where it's like, well, I just have to make it work. And so I'm not Mm going to let health insurance start stop me. Now, fortunately, I don't have a serious health condition. So Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate that it wasn't a deal breaker for me. But I think everyone has their own deal breakers, you know, so... It's kind of funny looking back on what it was that I thought, well, I could never do this because I have to have health insurance. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. I could just buy health insurance (laughs) (laughs) instead of having my employer pay for my health insurance. Okay. Now
2: I have a personal HR question since you are an HR expert. Oh,
1: this is exciting.
2: I have worked at the University of Minnesota for nine years now. I have never met any of the HR reps is this a thing I should change (laughs) (laughs) I mean I feel like it's sort of weird like should I should they know me should I know them should I mean not like I would want to be running to them with grievances all the time but isn't it a little weird
1: that I've never even
2: met any of them
1: that is interesting are you unionized no okay um that is interesting. So even when you started, you didn't have any sort of orientation or you didn't fill out like paperwork and have to turn oh, it sure in I somewhere? I'm sure I did. I turned it into my
2: my department admin and then she made it go where it had to go oh, from okay. there.
1: Okay. Okay. Actually, I think that's super cool. Um because kind of my goal in HR and where I spend a lot of my time is trying to make myself unnecessary. You know, if if people knew how to work well with each other and how to get along and how to talk to each other, then my job wouldn't exist. And that would be fine by me. So the, the fact that you're able to deal with your coworkers and your boss and maybe the people who work for you without needing HR, I, I don't know, I think that could be a good thing.
0: Oh, I like that. That <laughs> makes me feel good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's when you get an email or a call from one out of the blue that you need to be <laughs> you need to be nervous. I have kind of a weird story i I can't give too much information, but in our internal corporate site, there was a picture. And it was supposed to be like mentoring this is our new thing you can sign up to be a mentor and to have a have a mentor or something and they had a picture of alec baldwin and tina face sitting on a couch together and he had her in a headlock and was giving her like a noogie and everyone at my work is like because we're just a small affiliate of this big corporation we're like, what is happening with this picture? And so a couple couple of us, I didn't, but a couple of people sent emails to the HR saying, this is really inappropriate because it seems like either sexual harassment or workplace violence or a combination of both. And the emails they got back were even worse they were like sorry you're offended or if you've ever seen 30 rock you would know these characters love each other oh my gosh (laughs) those were the responses and it's still there up on the site oh that's classic (laughs) that and this is why people hate hr
1: and and i don't blame them i don't blame them i get so many calls every day from friends of mine who are looking for work and they'll tell me you know about some experience they had with a recruiter or a company and, you know, just interviews gone wrong and they tell me these stories and I'll just say, Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry.
0: I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like our local just for our office HR, um, which has been a little problematic because I can't get answers that at the corporate level. We've had five generalists in two years and I just keep compiling the questions. And when we get a new one, I say, here's all the questions that I've asked in the last two years. Please answer them when you can. Still haven't. Wow. And then now I just respond if we have the same one I just respond and say hey here's another one that popped up today Maybe you could just create like a little site on your internal thing next to the
1: Tina Fey and the Alec Baldwin, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Christy wants to know <laughs> no, I <like> it.
2: <laughs> Well, Christy, um this is going to be the longest show ever. I'm having I so much fun me talking too. to Andrea,
0: but we need to get to some TBTL-related things. Oh, do we have to? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what brought us all together. Right.
0: Okay, so let's start your interview. Andrea, how did you find TBTL?
1: I was working at a company that had KUOW as a client, and they had some uh, free tickets for a live taping of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me one night. And I remember seeing the email go out. You know how you'll get one of those emails that goes out to the whole office? And it was like, um, you know, we have these free tickets for tonight. And I was in a meeting and I couldn't respond. And I was so upset. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, you know. And like at the end of the day, I was walking out of their front desk. And I said, oh, by the way, who got the tickets? And the receptionist was like, oh, no one wanted those. <laughs> I go, What? Are you kidding me? You know, I want them. So I went and Luke was on the panel and, of course, the whole audience did that boo noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> that he loves. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, of course, immediately panicked, thinking, oh, my God, yeah. they're booing him. You know, I just – so I, I felt this sort of immediate affinity for him, even though Peter Sagel immediately said they're not booing him.
0: And was this the one when Susie Burbank was there or
1: was this a more recent Seattle um, one? M- no, I think it was even older. The, one, the guy who was there that night was the guy who wrote – um even cowgirls get the blues. What's his oh, okay. name? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's from here. Oh, yeah. He's a nutty nutball. Uh, he was great. <laughs> he had was Tom these- Robbins. Thank Tom you. Tom right? Yep, Thank yeah. you. He had on these red and white socks. He looked like Where's Waldo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think he was the guest that night. So it was years ago. It was years ago. Okay. And I, I heard then, you know, that he had this Too Beautiful to Live podcast. But I just, I didn't understand it or know what that meant.
0: Okay. Uh, I I really wish we had kept Tally. I guess we're going to just have to go through. But I think that's the majority of people come from Wait, Wait. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't Uh you think,
2: Anne? Yeah, I think if they weren't um, part of the radio show era, I I think Wait, Wait is a strong source of people. Mm
0: -hmm. He should try to get on that more often. I don't think he realizes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What was your first episode? Well, I'm not 100% sure on this, but
1: I... So I heard that he had a podcast and I, um, my only experience with podcasts was very highly produced radio shows like, wait, wait, don't tell me Mm -hmm. or radio lab or this American life. So I think honestly, for years, probably in the back of my head, I thought, oh, I should try and find this too beautiful to live. But I kept waiting for it to pop up in some other, like, as I was listening to NPR on the radio, you know, and it never did. So finally, one day I actually found it and I thought, okay, I'll listen to this. And it was the one where Andrew was living in Los Angeles and he was having issues with his landlord because his (laughs) cigarette smoke was wafting across
0: the courtyard. (laughs) Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
2: And we had a whole thing where there was a diagram of like um, airflow and and physics and stuff. (laughs)
1: And I, I was just so confused because again, I, I was used to these highly produced radio shows, and so my, my first thought as I was listening to it, I thought, oh no, they accidentally released the unedited one, <laughs> you know. And I, I, so I just felt so bad for them because I just thought, like, gosh, when are they gonna, you know, pull this down? So it was like, I listened the next day because I, you know, I kind of wanted the update. And you know once again, I thought, "Wow, this is really odd. Like I didn't understand drops you know all the all the drops at the beginning. I didn't understand that i was I, I just thought like things were getting cut off. Um, yeah I, I was just baffled i I did not get it at all. I didn't understand it and And finally, I think after the fourth or fifth show, I remember thinking to myself, "You know, it took you a while to understand Seinfeld. Maybe this is like that." Mm-hmm. That's what everyone compares it to in the uh-huh. of a podcast. Yeah. It's pretty accurate. Yeah. So I told myself, <laughs> just keep listening. And at some point, maybe something will make sense to you. I love that. <laughs> so uh, has it started to make sense yet? <laughs> well... I'd say I'm getting about fifty to sixty (laughs) percent. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty good odds. I mean, you guys are huge in my quest for understanding. (laughs) I I think I think without Little Red Bandwagon I would have abandoned it a long time ago. But but fortunately, you know, you guys give a lot of the behind the scenes context about why they say the things they say or, you know, explain things to me. So that's really helpful.
0: Um, which
1: episode do you think turned you into a 10? So it's not um, on the chronological timeline. I, I think what happened, I travel a lot for work. And so what I'll do a lot of times is just download a bunch of random episodes onto my phone before I leave town. And <clears throat> the title of uh, episode 1800, which it was a Joe, Bard- Joe Biden HR role play. <laughs> so of course, I was like, hey, this is my world. I'll listen to it. And um, the actual HR role play doesn't come in on that particular episode until like 45 minutes in. But I died because it was so perfect. I mean, it's it was perfect in a couple of ways. Like it was, um, the way they did the role play is, Honest to god how I spend probably 80% of my day is like <laughs> like talking to an older white male who has a heart as big as California as Luke would say and the best intentions but he's really creeping people out or bothering <laughs> them. And so how do you tell them, you know, mm-hmm. that? And so it's so funny. I mean, Luke just set it up perfectly and I love when they do role plays. I, it just cracks me up. And, um, you know, they usually spend a lot of time up front about now, who am I and what? <laughs> yeah,
0: like, and there's one... <laughs> usually a crazy accent involved.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they don't work, but I thought this one worked <laughs> spectacularly. And in fact, Luke, like, even threw in at the beginning that he was like, okay, well, hey, you know, and just so you know, I just spoke with Diana and accounting, and she <laughs> let me know how much I touched her life and how meaningful I am. And 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 that is real life. You will go to sit down and tell someone something and they always have an example of, well, you're trying to get me in trouble for this, but I want you to know someone just told me it's the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then Andrew killed me because I'm pretty sure he did this on purpose, but like he did all the things you're not supposed to do as a manager, right? So he was... <laughs> He was Joe Biden's manager. (laughs) He he just he was saying, you know, like he started the conversation with this a lie. He was like, well, I'm talking to all the employees. So, you know, don't get nervous. And which, no, I'm just talking to you (laughs) because you're in trouble. (laughs) And then he, you know, started with some fake compliment, you know, the whole like compliment, criticism, compliment Mm -hmm. thing. Like, I hate that. Um. And then he kept saying, well, kind of, maybe, you know, instead of just telling him, like, stop touching people. (laughs) (laughs) And and then my favorite was when Andrew was like, "Um, oh, this doesn't bother me at all. It just bothers other people, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And that's, like, again, I feel like I spend so much of my life talking to managers about if you're going to give someone feedback, you have to own it. You can't tell them, you know, hey, this doesn't bother me, but I think it bothers other people, so you should probably stop. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah when i heard the joe biden role play i just was like i love this show so much
0: <laughs> so have you gone back and listened to all the old ones any of them no gosh no okay. no 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 i'm
1: i'm i'm so i mean i'm not a 10 i'm like a four i mean I, <laughs> I i i have gone back like i've never heard a gen one other than the ones you guys have played on little red bandwagon oh, okay um I've gone back and picked a few, you know, like I said, when I travel from, you know, earlier Andrew times. But that that's just – I'll just pick a random week. And that's kind of fun because sometimes I will hear things in that week that I'm like, oh, that's how that got started, or, you <laughs> know. Um, but, yeah, I, I've never gone all the way back. I'm no Phyllis. I, I have, like, limited listening time because I, I can't listen – I'm I'm either training, so I'm either like up in front of a room talking to people and you know obviously I can't be listening to a podcast <laughs> while I'm doing that. <laughs> or I'm on the phone interviewing people, which, you know, again, I can't also Sorry. be listening to a <laughs> podcast. So I really can just listen. I, I basically listen when I lock uh walk my dog or, you know, as I'm going to bed at night. And have
0: you ever had any TBTL appearances? Yes.
1: I'm uh Ooh. I'm three for three on my emails, so I think I'm gonna oh. stop because I I oh feel like gosh. I have, I have a perfect record, so, <laughs> <laughs> and I now know it's really hard to you know get your emails mm-hmm. read. So I, I yeah, um, my first one I wrote there was an episode where. Luke and Andrew were kind of talking about how differently they handle their phones. And, you know, Andrew can just kind of turn his phone off, put it away, and never look at it. And Luke, of course, is checking his every two seconds. And I wrote talking about how, you know, I think the fact that Luke's an extrovert and Andrew's an introvert and how those sort of personality characteristics play into, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're okay just being on your own or whether you want that constant checking in with other people. And... Hmm. Um, then I wrote in after um, Andrew talked about his garbage anxiety <laughs> because my husband has the same
0: problem. And Oh, I remember this email. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so um, Andrew read that email, and I just love their response. So I was talking about how my husband also, like, once he empties all the garbage, he wants it to stay empty until the garbage <laughs> men come and pick it up. And so – You know, it just drives me insane. I just don't – to me, it's, like, also, like, people who try to keep their inbox empty. Like, you're always going to get another email. Just, you know, relax. Like, garbage comes into our life. I'm going to throw another piece of garbage, but he'll just freak out. Like, put it in the outside trash can. You know, make sure you get it. The garbage man's coming. The garbage man's coming. (laughs) And so I actually played that episode, that piece of that episode for my husband because, you know, they were – Andrew was awesome he was like I totally get this guy and you know I love him and I understand him and Luke did too he was like I, I get that but then both of them were like but you know that's kind of weird and you can't put that on other people
0: yeah I, <laughs> I mean and I think I terrible. may have
2: I may have referred to your husband as a garbage person <laughs> on LRV that week <laughs> oh no <laughs> I think it was a, a crazy garbage person <laughs>
1: Well, and I think you did because I remember thinking I wanted to defend my husband because oh. <laughs> because Andrew didn't read like the last two sentences of my email, which gave a little more context, which is my garbage cans are literally, I don't know, a quarter of a mile from my house. So oh. I toward the end of my email, I was talking about how, you know, so my we'll, we'll empty all the interior garbage cans and then we'll put that in the outside garbage can and then we'll haul that outside garbage can quarter mile away from the house. So now it's waiting for the garbage man. Then my husband will put like a little disposable bag on the counter and want any garbage to go in there until the following morning and so that sounds really really weird and nutty unless you know that our garbage can is a quarter of a mile away so I can't just you know he can't just run out and drop it in that outside can that's why he needs his little counter bag I I guess now that I'm explaining it it still sounds crazy
0: (laughs) I just feel bad that he must have so much anxiety about it
1: (laughs) well I don't you know, it's funny. I describe it as anxiety, but honestly, it's more like the peace he gets from the emptiness. Like mm. and and the peace he gets from knowing that like this service that he's paid for, he's fully utilizing. Like, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. garbage man comes to our house and there's literally not a piece of garbage left on our house when he leaves, <laughs> and that makes him feel really good. I do understand that. I
0: yes.
2: I don't think he's a crazy garbage person. I <laughs>
0: Yeah, adding adding the mileage from how far away it is, <laughs> right. that does give yeah, a lot of context.
1: Yeah. And then my third email was the one um, where we went to the fancy restaurant and he ordered his burger, medium rare, and the mm-hmm. lady said they wouldn't do that. And she said it in a really snotty way and kind of made him feel bad about asking. And so he kind of lost it. I mean, his version of losing it is not like screaming and yelling. It's just... Every time she went by our table, he was saying things like, I can't believe I'm in a restaurant where they can't cook my hamburger to order, (laughs) you know, or that kind of thing. And I'm paying $18 for it. You know, that sort of stuff. That is really weird. Mm -hmm. I did think it was really weird. And, um, but they really liked my PS, which was my husband got violently ill the next day.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Which Do you think it was food poisoning or that they did something? A hundred percent. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because none of us... None of the rest of us got sick and I have been a server. And while I would never do that to anyone,
0: I You've did. You've seen people do it. Absolutely. Yep. Me yep. too. Me uh-huh. too. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. Horrible, horrible things to
0: people mm-hmm. who weren't
1: anywhere near as bad as my husband was. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it's so weird because while I was hearing that email, I was thinking at Red Robin, you can choose your burger and they just put it on a conveyor belt at different places in, in the little crazy oven that they have.
1: Yeah, a fancy restaurant
0: can do this. Yeah,
1: we have uh, discussed this endlessly (laughs) since this experience, (laughs) and and ask a lot of friends their opinion. And our new theory is that that restaurant's trying to save time, and so they pre-cook all of their burgers to medium, and so then they can just slap it on, you know, the griddle for thirty seconds on each side and serve it, and it's done. But they can't make it. More rare you know it's already right right that's my
0: theory that's my theory that's shady. what, rest, what restaurant was this?
1: It was in see? Phoenix, it had a fancy name hmm. I'll have to look that up something's table oh.
0: that uh yeah that's we that's had a
1: shy. we had a you know like a group on, so that was that was part of the story too as we had you know a gift card, someone had given me that as a present mm-hmm. and so you know, especially when you're at a place where you don't feel like you selected it and then you feel like you you can't walk out and leave because mm-hmm. you've got this gift card, you know, it just sort of contributed to the annoyance
0: with the place. All right. And what is your favorite drop?
1: I don't watch the news because I'm a kid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I This is a great one. I love when they say it, to each other. Like, yeah. Oh, did you see on the news? No, yeah. I don't watch the news. Cause I'm a kid.
1: I say it all the time. And I know, you know, no one in my life close to me that hears it knows why I say that. I, they, they must think I'm nuts, but no one has ever asked me
0: like, why are you saying that? You're not a kid. Have you been to any live events or any meetups or anything? No. So you've never met a 10 in the wild or
1: in person? No, looking back on one night, I think I met a 10 one night. I met this man one night that I thought was so odd the night I met him because (laughs) he seemed to have this internal running joke that I didn't get. And now looking back on it, I'm thinking he was saying TBTL things. Like I remember he kept talking about sports ball. And I remember thinking to myself, why does he call it sports ball? That's weird. Something wrong with him. And he was cracking himself up the whole night. I mean, I just yeah, that he was sounds high. like a ten.
0: That's ten behavior. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So now I need to I need to search him out. He was the husband of someone at an event that I went to, so I need to find her and, and track him down because um, now looking back on it, I'm like, oh, I think he was a ten. And now I would say something, but at the time, you know, I I didn't understand. I just. I thought he was, well, I thought he was high as a kite. I mean, <laughs> you
2: know. And that's on him. Is you got to know your audience.
1: You, well, again, you I think he was amusing himself, you know? I mean, I think he, he was having fun. So, you
0: know. Was the event in Seattle?
1: No, it was oh. here in Olympia and it was a game night. And it was mostly theater people. And so I, since I, I didn't know about TBTL at the time, I hadn't really started listening. I thought they were all quotes from plays he had been in. <laughs> That's <laughs> even weirder. Because, yeah, because they were all like, you know, they were all sort of scripted and funny, but none of them actually kind of made any sense.
0: And he's saying them with the cadence of the drop. Yes. So then
1: it's weirder. Yes.
0: Oh my gosh! You ha- we have to find out who this person was. I know.
1: I'm going to do some research. I'll I'll frizzle him and see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll see what I can find out. Because if it
0: was Seattle, I would wonder if it was my brother-in-law. Because that's how he got me roped into the show. Is he would just say all these crazy things in drops in the tone, or he'd be like, "Oh, these these people did the funniest thing today," and I'd be like, "Ah, oh, you know," I roll at him, and then they had me over for dinner and made me listen. Just turned it on um, ninja style turned on the show and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is this? This is amazing. (laughs) So I'm glad it wasn't him. Well, and you knew him, so
1: you could, you could ask him, you know, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So why does TBTL matter to you? Um, this is like, I have so many answers for this question. Uh, well, since I work from home, you know, I don't, I don't really have that sort of water cooler chat. I don't sit next to someone. I don't, you know, hear people talking about just the sort of mundane everyday parts of their life. So it kind of serves that role for me. Um and I like that it's it's real conversations, um what people are actually thinking. <laughs> uh yes. because what I have all day, especially a, a day where I'm interviewing people, I call it a fake conversation. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. a first date, like they're putting their best foot forward and telling me what a great employee they would be. And I'm putting the company's best foot forward and saying it would be such a great place to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I get to listen to Luke and Andrew talk about like their thrive and how much <laughs> they hate it. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. It really helps me understand my husband. My husband is a bizarre mix of Luke and Andrew, I think. He's he's actually pretty extroverted. Um, and uh, also, like, I don't want to use the word entitled in a negative sense. I'll say he, he doesn't care so much about the rules. Like, he's really good at, at mm-hmm. kind of getting his way. Um, but then he has Andrew's more sort of uh, over concern for other people and and trying making sure he's not offending other people or you know what could that person think or what did that mean or you know sort of that overthinking piece so it really helps me understand when they talk about things um i'm like oh maybe that's what's going on there and uh especially when they talk about sports because i am not a sports person at all <laughs> and so it's nice i'm like oh okay spring training's happening that's good i should mention that or um <laughs> you know baseball the whole walk situation you know and, and you don't have to understand a lot but can I just be like hey what's happening in baseball with the forced walk and he'll look at me and be like oh you could be all excited you know <laughs> but i know what he's talking about and it's kind of my pop culture digest because i don't watch a lot of pop culture so i don't i don't necessarily understand a lot of what they say but at least i know it's something <laughs> people are talking about like game of thrones Yeah, You know, I don't, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but at least I know like, okay, this is a big deal and people are talking about it. And yeah. So it, um, it serves a lot of different roles for me, but it's definitely, it's kind of like my, I would say my virtual work friends.
0: That is a great answer. Let's get into the clip because it's a long one and we've talked a really long time. We have. (laughs) So this is episode two thousand. 107 from April 27th, 2016. This is the weirdest idea for a show that they did. It was a crossover between what they called a pub crawl, which which was a crossover with Read It and Weep, TBTL, and The Flop House. And each show watched a different um, Look Who's Talking and then went on their show to discuss it. What I think is weird and what they missed out on doing is... How is it a pub crawl? Um, It's a pod crawl. Yeah. They should have called it pub they pod did. crawl. They did. They did. Yeah. Oh, because when I looked it up, they, it was like hashtag pub crawl. Oh, I,
1: maybe I just misheard it, but cause I even because thought it the should website be pub crawl, was like right? pod crawl dot Pol- space or whatever. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but they should have gone like, so if each that like Andrew should have gone on a different one and watched it. And so then, mm-hmm. then it actually is crossed this way. All the TBTL listeners did not go and listen to Read It and Weep. We listened to our show, and that is it. Mm -hmm.
2: And I actually listened to Read It and Weep, and I didn't listen to that episode that they did of Look Who's Talking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, it it doesn't really make sense. I think that the theory was okay, and, and it's funny, like watching terrible movies is is kind of funny and enjoyable especially if you're going to talk on it but I really think that they missed out on an opportunity by having Luke on one and Andrew on a different one and flipping it around because if I heard someone on TBTL talking about Luke who's talking to and it was Luke and someone else I and that person was funny I would have tuned in to Flophouse and maybe subscribed but as it is now i had enough of listening about this movie on one show. I did not want to listen to two more hours of it. Yeah, I didn't go check out either one of
1: those other podcasts. Although I did notice recently, um, didn't he just have Alex Falcone on? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I thought, oh, that was interesting. Now, I, I do actually like that guy and I enjoy hearing from him, but I still haven't checked out his podcast. I don't. Is he still doing it? Is oh, he yeah.
0: Did? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's play that clip and then come back and discuss it.
4: There's a point at which John Travolta, because this is, you know, uh, legally required in this country, at least uh, as of the mid-90s, there's a point in which John Travolta just sort of takes control of the daycare of the gym and leads the children in a dance. Right. Because – we have to have John Travolta dancing
5: in any and all films he's, at this point. He's got to be a pilot because he really is a pilot in real life. Because he really is a pilot. And and thank you. That was the dance. Yeah. It's
4: the most uh, – an. I mean this this movie could be called Look Who's Shoehorning <laughs> because there's so much stuff that is just like shoehorned <laughs> into this film because like yeah, uh, John Travolta's character – is like a down on his luck trying to make it pilot. That's not even a character. Like being an airline pilot. We have airline <laughs> pilot listeners to the right. show. And, and I'm not trying to say it's a it's a walk in the park. And I also don't want to digress into the whole, you know, way that people have to work their way up to being a pilot. But the point is, it's an odd choice. He's a cab driver slash licensed commercial (laughs) airline pilot. Exactly.
5: That's what doesn't make sense, because I kind of didn't realize early on that there is a mention. Here's one thing you need to know about when I was watching this. Maybe I already said this, but, you know, maybe I shouldn't have watched this with two friends, because there was a lot of talking over top of this movie. It was hard to get everybody to be fully invested in every moment of this movie, but... Did you ask either of them, how's your podcast? (laughs) I said, how's your look who's talking franchise is what I said. (laughs) Um, How's your pod crawl? (laughs) So I was having some trouble... I thought that he was just a cab driver. He was a cab driver. And then suddenly, boom, we jump forward in time and now he's a pilot. And I was like, is that just because it's kind of like we need to show him growing professionally? And, hey, in one scenario, you're driving people around on the ground. But as you get better at driving people around on the ground, you get promoted to driving people around in the sky. There is a middle point
4: (laughs) where you're running rides at an amusement park where people are in the air but tethered to the ground. (laughs) Then eventually you're hang glidering them. <laughs> then you're, then you're Jeff Daniels actually flying geese back in a migratory pattern, and eventually you're flying corporate
5: jets. You skipped over the blimp, but I'm not going to nitpick. Um, oh, man. But anyway, yeah. So I was just going like, to, I didn't get that, but I guess there is a. I realized today when pulling tape, there is a reference a little bit earlier on about how he's got his license or he's working on getting his license. But I, I agree with you that I don't think that the, the road. To um, flying a Lear jet, and we know it's a Lear jet because at one point he even says, "I like flying a Lear jet," or something along the right. lines of that. I, think I it's believe he like, gets uh, he gets Mikey a toy jet.
4: Ah, hey, like yeah. your dad flies, <laughs> it's a Learjet. It's
5: Not bad. I didn't know you did a Bill Clinton. <laughs> um, I, uh, a son of a bitch. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. yeah so like, I don't there's... think that you like start off as as a taxi cab driver, thinking someday I'll make it as a pilot. It's the. It really is just like the weirdest.
4: It's the weirdest job for him to sort of half have, and then also he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to fly like private planes because they're the the rich people are rude to him as the pilot. Which I just. I mean, it's it's this massive, involved, like, (laughs) Rube Goldberg thing that's built to just have John Travolta get to be in some airplanes, which he likes anyway because he is, as we all know an actual like certified commercial pilot. Like he, he has a huge jet. That's his own jet. He flies everywhere. Like it's his thing, but like, fine. If his thing was Fabergé eggs, the character shouldn't be trying to break into the Fabergé egg market. But he would have been, he would have, he's got these eggs over here. (laughs) So, I mean, like, Let's talk about the passage of time, though, because you talk about this like where all of a sudden I guess Tron Travolta is now he's wearing a suit in the house with a tie or like a, you know, a pilot's outfit. So now he's got that job. This is a huge problem for me with this film. I, my, my sense is they must have shot a lot of things, a lot of scenes that then got cut out, like I don't know, just for time or for – I mean, considering what was left in the film, it, it, the mind reels when you think about what they cut out. <laughs> but I, like I for instance – Kirsty Alley being pregnant, like finding out she's pregnant, never addressed in the film. Now this is huge because, uh, and I'm it's going to get a little um provolactic here for a minute. Uh, there's at the at the scene where uh, she is going to we learn get pregnant. Her and John Travolta are uh, enjoying their time together uh, as husband and wife, and he says. Uh, d- Do you have your diaphragm in? I spared everyone my impression of John Travolta asking, do you have your diaphragm in?
5: (laughs) Because that's its own form of birth control, right? That is actually a
4: war crime. (laughs) It's a violation of (laughs) multiple Geneva Conventions. But uh, he asks her if she has her diaphragm in. We see these these sperm puppets or whatever animation is going on. One of them make its way around a, a barrier method of birth control. So when Kirstie Alley's character finds that she's pregnant, it seems to me that there should be a moment of realization, and maybe her character would have some thoughts about that, considering she was actively trying to prevent this from happening. Right. Also – It's a big part of her character's journey, but we go from – no means yes sperm going around the diaphragm and then into the egg which as you already mentioned andrew it's knowing what we know now in 2016 and how we talk about these things definitely like makes you feel weird if you watch it now Mm -hmm. even though biologically it's i mean look these are not sentient things at this point the egg doesn't have a desire one way or the other and the sperm doesn't truly have a desire they just do what they're programmed to do but uh it goes from that moment to she's like at work and she's holding her stomach or i can't remember, i think she's at work she's holding her stomach and she's wearing a like a maternity
5: dress and now she's just pregnant right no like hey uh guess what our birth control method is not working yeah, I'm pregnant i didn't want to be pregnant i have a
4: I'm, right i have a a job that takes a lot of my attention. I have a young child uh I have a cab driver slash airline pilot husband who you know is 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 giving me problems like. That just to me was like, I can't believe that they didn't have two minutes
5: of her realizing she was pregnant. This story should go. It could have been an abortion movie and could have been, look who could have been talking.
4: (laughs) Oh, wow. That, um,
5: that's, that's something for my slash. fiction. (laughs)
4: I'll cut that out. No, that's, that's a, (laughs) that's a good point. Okay. So that's one of the things that was uh, left out. Um, They they – you've already mentioned this. They really skip over the – him taking this pilot job thing. So it goes from he kind of doesn't want to take this job because her parents suggested it. More on them in a moment. Her parents suggested he get this job. He doesn't – mysteriously and in an unjustified fashion does not want to go to being an airline pilot even though that's what he loves because it's set up to some kind of dramatic tension. And then – Next thing you know, he just is the airline pilot, and that's just now a given. There's no, like, he comes home and is like, hey, I got the job. Like, mm-hmm. they do – this happens constantly in this film where the, – the other thing is that the Kirstie Alley and John Travolta characters sort of break up, although it's what I call classically a fake-up, which is one of these pretend breakups in a movie that serves only to try to, again, create dramatic tension. Because I've been through – not to get too on the real, I've been divorced. <laughs> I've moved out of houses that people live in and there are a lot of stages to it and there are a lot of feelings to it. And it does not go the way that it goes and look who's talking to. It's not like you have one argument, you leave and then you're just kind of co-parenting, but there's no like nobody's talking about child support or we don't know where John Travolta lives. Like there's not the way that they interact to each other is like, they just had a, like a, a mild argument in the morning. It comes down to Kirstie Alley, properly uh, perfuming herself and putting on makeup and an attempt to get him back. Like that whole thing about him, about him moving out. It's supposed to be really the, like the, the big plot point of the movie is like, they're breaking up. It's killing the kids. It's like this can't happen to this Awesome relationship, but you just can't, as a viewer, even give half of a care because nothing is developed properly.
5: And if ever there was a couple that should not be together, I mean, sometimes breaking <laughs> up is the right thing to do, right? Like, and if there's ever a couple that just should not have been to, oh God, <clears throat> i sorry, I got the movie playing in the background here. I'm just kind of clicking around looking for scenes. I forgot about how awful it is when Roseanne Barr, whatever that character's name is, is still in utero and being strangled by her um uh by her the umbilical cord. cord like that whole like whatever kind of doll technology whatever kind of muppet technology they were using for that i hope that they have <laughs> like burned it and destroyed all records it was the most horrifying thing i thought it was a horror movie we're getting into at the beginning of this it definitely had a an element of a chucky
4: yes right the the child's play doll um, I also think, by the way, sorry, I don't, I'm not trying to um, tangent this off too far, and I don't think tangent is even a verb that way, but uh, you know what? This movie breaks all the rules, and so can we today. <laughs> yeah. um, when uh, when Mikey – a big plot of this movie is potty training for, for Mikey. Yeah. When he goes into the bathroom and the toilet is menacing him, they definitely got the same person that did – peewee's playhouse right to do that oh I mean, to do the animation it it's extremely, extremely like similar it, yeah. it's i think it's actually probably puppetry more than animation mm-hmm. in the way that cherry yeah and uh you know the the various things in peewee's playhouse were all kind of like puppet animatronic somehow controlled things also you note that earlier in the movie there's a peewee herman doll in the room in oh, the little kids that's room right
5: you do see that that's why so right, I, I forgot I, I about just, that. I just, uh, apropos of not um, much, I th- thought of that. I did want to say that while we're talking about the parents' relationship, the only other kind of good thing I had to say about this was, for as much as you don't care about anything in this movie and you don't care about whether or not he's going to be a bedwetter his whole life or whether or not he's going to learn to use the toilet and whether or not these awful people stay together or break up, like, <laughs> there is one scene kind of early on. I'm looking for it now. I can't find it and I won't get too... I'm, it's not worth getting distracted over. But... There is a part of the scene of the movie where they're arguing, where Kirstie Alley and Travolta are arguing, and you just see it from the perspective of Roseanne Barr's baby, in Mm -hmm. like, and she's in like a, um, I guess a playpen, would you call it like one of those, you know, small square playpen things. And you sort of, it's sort of shot through the plastic, if I remember correctly, through the plastic of the playpen. And you see these two adults fighting in the kitchen. Like it really did. I, I mean, I'm a non-confrontational person and often like couples treating each other badly, seeing that in a film or sometimes even a commercial really is unsettling to me. And I got to say that one scene that lasted about 20 seconds, I was like, Oh God, I'm really feeling some feelings here. It got to me.
4: There was, uh, there was another scene too, with that same baby where, uh, by the way, another thing, there was apparently a housekeeper or a nanny there, which is never explained. And it's only in oh, one yeah. scene,
0: <laughs> it never comes
4: back. That's right. but like, this is this moment when they're like, <laughs> this is supposed to be, you know, that the, the go-go nineties are really here. Kirstie Alley's got her accounting job. John Travolta's got his Learjet flying job. They've now got some help with the baby. Um, but, uh, even though, uh, things seem to be going well on those fronts, uh, the baby is going to be sad to be abandoned, uh, and they're trying to make a kind of a serious comment. And I actually didn't find it completely non-effective, but it was weird that there's just a random woman in there who I guess we're supposed to assume is this help who has never. We've, there's no point where they explain this person getting hired. There's no point in which you they get it's explained why this person is never in the movie again. Did mm-hmm. she steal? <laughs> like what happened? <laughs> was she kidnapped? But, Maybe she was the victim, she, not the perp. Man, did she try to cat burgle an apartment during a hurricane when uh, there were people inside? Because that is also a thing that happens in this film. Uh, quite surprisingly, uh, there is a character in the movie who is Kirstie kind of no good brother, who is, again, one of these many things that in the light of 2016 just seems weird, uh, is, a, is a gun nut and is constantly pointing a gun at people in this mm-hmm. small New York apartment that has two children in right. it. And it's treated as just kind of like a comic foible, like somebody who who leaves the the you know jar of pickles, uh, the top off the jar or something. He there are about three different scenes where he points a gun at someone in the apartment, and it's 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 really other than John Travolta, who's like I don't like him having a gun in here. Kirstie Alley's response is well, it's not loaded.
5: And then that's just kind of – that's just not treated like it's a real huge deal. And Kirstie Alley's relationship with her brother is way more disturbing than anything. It's more disturbing than the talking toilet. It's more disturbing (laughs) than the baby that's about to die in utero because of the umbilical cord. Like her – like the way she talks about, talks to, dotes on her brother is uncomfortable. Right? You mean? Do you think that there's a, a kind of a romantic element? It just... I mean, I, everybody's got their different relationships with their siblings, and I'm not trying to make this like, oh God, if you're close, it's incestuous. Like, we'll save that for a, a song of Bonus ice. And spoilers, episode. yeah, exactly. But like, nobody talks about like she is in love with her brother. I mean, that's the huge. For those who haven't seen the movie, let me catch you up here really quickly. The one of the, if not the sticking point between her and her husband john travolta is that she lets her brother move in with them and it seems like the way it's again passage of time very hard to understand it seems like he's there for a really long time like maybe even a year or something the way the baby is aging could be wrong um and of course john travolta john John travolta keeps saying um you know, we, we need him to move out. We need him to move out. But she's always just talking about how wonderful her brother is, how much she loves him. There's a scene where she's going on and on when she's talking. Oh, you should have seen him when he was little. He was so cute. And he did that. And it's like almost like a mom talking about her son or something. It's a very, very uncomfortable relationship, which again, I, I just think that like John Travolta and Kirstie Alley shouldn't be together. Well, the, the character of
4: Kirstie Alley's brother is is, again, just – it's uh, – you know, we were talking on the show yesterday during a, a, a Song of Ice and Spoilers about the mountain and him being kind of, a you know, Frankenstein's mountain. Yes. Wait, Frankenstein. Dr. Frankenstein's mountain. <laughs> yes. Franken like Mountain's this, monster. Thank you. Just sort of stitched together, right? Well, this character is just stitched together because he is – so he's – I guess he's presented as a sort of right-wing guy who has a gun obsession. He seems to demonstrate all of the elements of PTSD. I don't know what war he was in, but he's behaving exactly like a person who came back from a, a war and, and was you know, dealing with issues. He's also supposed to be an accountant who at no time does any accounting except this one scene where they decide that they want Kirstie Alley's character to suddenly feel regret, I guess, about giving too much time to her job. So her brother who who cannot get a job, cannot get through a job interview without insulting the people who's living on her couch and who's pulling a gun on people. Then suddenly is like, we're accountants. This is what we do. Like there's this, it's just shoehorned in this weird scene where where it's it, like Christ, Christy Alley, this female friend of hers who apparently has a shine for her brother and her brother are sitting around Literally talking about deductions, mm-hmm. but and this he, is not yeah. something that he has demonstrated any interest or acumen for. I mean I know he's described as an accountant, but it's clearly not his number one thing. But then in order to try to justify this moment of like Kirsty Alley confronting the fact that she's been forced to be an accountant by family pressure I guess, they have to like loop her brother into it. I mean it's just – Scene after scene after scene where people do things that are completely out of character. uh, There's the internal the the internal logic of this movie is is just like Swiss cheese.
5: Yes, I will say one more thing. This is the third and only thing that I actually liked. Um, There was one point where Travolta is arguing with Kirstie Alley and he refers to her brother as Travis Bickle. That I was I think great. That, I, la- the, I, LOL. I did too. That was the only actual laugh line, I think, in the entire movie. I I totally agree. I thought that, that
4: was, because he actually looks yeah. that um that actor, uh
5: Elias. Oh yeah, what was it? Um because he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he's
4: great. He's great, by the way. I don't blame him. I don't really blame any of the actors in this except maybe Roseanne. What which probably Travolta. Me to- that- well, I mean, look, Travolta's going to Travolta, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like what, I mean, if you, if you blame him for this, you got to blame him for being in any movie he's ever in. I mean, this is, this is to me, actually, this is Travolta sort of japing his way through a meaningless film, which is right where I'd like to see him. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not hurting anybody by trying to relaunch battle, battlefield earth or mm-hmm. something else that he thinks of as serious, where he's like an angel or something. Um but, uh, another thing about this, uh, the voiceover component of it, I don't look, I don't think Bruce Willis did that bad of a job. I'm as, sure like, he
5: was like on the toilet when he was doing this. I mean, I'm sure he just got a huge payday yeah. while he just like sat on the can and just like read a few lines while a producer was on the phone.
4: Yes. Uh, that's probably how it happened. I haven't been to that many, um, you know, like voiceover studios in LA. I know some of them have toilets. <laughs> In the the booth. I'm sure that that's what uh, old Brucey availed himself of. But the Roseanne Barr performance is imagine, you know, when she sang the national anthem and then grabbed her crotch and spit Mm -hmm. on the ground. Imagine an entire movie's worth of that level of proficiency. (laughs) Right. There is not, I mean, I, I think I wrote in the notes this was one take for her because there's no way that any of these takes from her where she's saying things as the baby. There's no universe in which any of them could have been her second try.
5: Uh, Roseanne, can we take that again? No. Yeah.
4: I mean, it's like I guess we could just play some of them if we had them at the ready. But every single thing she says is deli- – it, 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 and this sounds crazy to say. It takes me out of the reality of the film. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. I'm not into the reality of the film that much. But if there was a chance of me getting anywhere close to the reality of the film mattering to me – It's taken, I'm taken out of it every time Roseanne's just like, Hama, Hama. I don't know why she's Marge Simpson there, but uh, she is. It's like, it's so, it's so, her acting is so incredibly bad. Like, I know that, by the way, footnote the trailer or the pre, I don't know what you'd call it, but I was reading on Wikipedia about this that basically when Look Who's Talking came out, or as I call it, Alex Falcone's private reserve, (laughs) his private stash, his, fine his 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 aged 12 year decent version of this movie that he's hoarded for come himself on, and his Phil, friends on read it and weep
5: it. just give us just, um, just let us just give us a little taste of it. just let, let us just, look
4: at it for a second can we just sniff sniff that film for a minute please <laughs> um apparently at the end of that film there was sort of like a some sort of a teaser for the next movie so they knew, I guess, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm I'm unraveling my own theory about how the second movie got made. I guess maybe they knew this movie was going to be so big that they, they figured they were already going to be working on a sequel. But Joan Rivers was supposed to be the voice of this baby. Oh. In the yeah, teaser yeah. trailer, it's Joan Rivers. And then there was some, I don't know, contractual something or other. They went with Roseanne. And uh, I don't think either of those um, women are known for their incredible acting abilities. But... It was it was really distracting to me,
5: actually. Do you want to? I mean, I think I have a scene here. I just kind of have the Can movie you? open. Let's just give it a shot, and I think this is her. I will say this, because if this isn't her, then I need to uh, make excuses for myself up front here. Not to be all the food is horrible and the portions are too small, but I was also surprised at how little Roseanne seems to be in this, actually. You would think that, like, this is the, the, the kind of the you know, second in the series. That's, the, that's your freshness there. We have a new right. voice in the mix. Let's really emphasize that. But they didn't, and I felt like her, her scenes uh, were kind of few and far between. But let's see if this is one of them.
0: You know the problem is, the problem Get of a load country. of those eyebrows. Of What's the, the deal with problems? eyebrows? And the people that we defend, they give Eyes, respect. I understand. Mouths, I understand. But eyebrows? Why waste money on new bombs if you? I wonder if I'll have a set like his. Am I right? Daddy doesn't have a set like mm-hmm. his. Good luck it's a confusing question, but I, but I guess I'll learn someday.
5: But I guess I'll learn someday. Oh, her acting is horrible. But this also brings up another point of just like kind of again just I'm. I'm astounded – I knew that the writing was going to be bad. I knew that it was all going to be, like, campy and bad and everything. But just the craftsmanship is so awful. I know I keep saying that, but that's what surprised me the most. Like, just the sound mixing is so confusing. And you're right when you start putting in the Bruce Willis and the fact that this kid is also moving his mouth and you have all of the sound going on. You can't – and they're trying to make it uber realistic. But instead, it's just, like – well, again, maybe it's just art. Maybe it's arty, but it's just like it's really hard to tell what the shit is going on.
4: <laughs> I, I I'm with you on on the 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 fact that while I think Roseanne's acting is terrible, I think they missed an opportunity, which is that Roseanne is pretty funny, or at mm-hmm. points in her life has been pretty sure. funny. And if they would have just let Roseanne riff a little bit, in fact, if they would have let anyone funny get near this movie, but in particular Roseanne, like Roseanne came in. They handed her a script. I mean, I don't know what really happened. I mean, maybe she improved a bunch of really funny stuff and they didn't use any of it. But if you look at like the um, Aladdin movie where Robin Williams, of course, played the genie, it's classic Williams where he's just basically going, you know, going to 11 and they're recording all of it. And then they're, I think, integrating a lot of it into the finished product of the film. If you have somebody who's actually funny and they want to be funny – why not use them? It's like weird because it's Roseanne's voice, but she's just reading the most toast pablo mm-hmm. of comedy, right? And in fact, and that's where, like, like you would think, like that the 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 Travis Bickle line. Um, oh, by the way, what I I don't know if I completed that thought, but that actor looks like a little like Al, uh, Robert De Niro. Yeah, no, it, it's
5: a great line, and he's carrying around a gun, and he's kind of dressed mm-hmm. like it. And the, yeah, Travis Bickle, yeah, dead on. So, um, but like, I feel like the The reason we remember that
4: line, both of us, is because it is it stands as one of the only even moderately funny things that happened in this entire film, yeah, I mean, how is it like you had that many people who who are professional movie creators who are making something that is supposedly a comedy, and that there was just one moment that we both remember where there was an even halfway decent line, like just letting Roseanne be Roseanne, you think would have at least generated some some funny moments.
5: Yeah, I agree. And it's just not there. The movie is just so confused, so confused. Now, I see that we're kind of running out of time here, Luke, and I don't want to tell you how to run your show, but um, you had a big point that you wanted to make about <laughs> anti-Semitism, didn't you? Well, I, I, I hope that I'm not, in, in, in identifying
4: this, I hope that I'm not, like, uh, manufacturing something, which then somehow indicates my own anti-Semitism. Mm. <laughs> but I will tell you this. I got a weird vibe off of a lot of stuff related to Kirstie Alley and her family's uh, characters. And it was – at first I thought, like, I didn't understand why uh, – her mother is played by Olympia Dukakis. Um, I don't know the name of the, the actor who plays her father. He doesn't really have any lines. But um, th- what I noticed was that the her family, her, her mother and father are both, I guess, accountants. She is an accountant. Her brother, Travis Bickle, is also an accountant. He kind of does more of a thing where he picks people up in his cab Mm -hmm. and then does their taxes for them before bad stuff goes down.
5: Yeah. He says someday a hard rain is going to come and wipe all these deductions (laughs) off the street. That's what I believe a line. Um, So uh, uh, there was this weird thing that happened where like in, in one
4: of the first scenes, Olympia Dukakis keeps throwing Yiddish around. Like, Really shoehorning it in, and I noticed it because unless it's a Mel Brooks movie, you don't catch that much Yiddish in most films, Mm -hmm. and I like Yiddish. I think Yiddish is a really interesting language. So I'm like, huh, that's kind of odd. And then there's this whole thing where they're accountants and where the whole – the the motivation for for particularly the mother is supposed to be all she cares about is that John Travolta – does not make enough
5: money Mm -hmm. and there's a scene where they're sitting there like let's see so it's uh, Kirstie alley her two parents and john travolta all sitting around a a table and the father Kirstie alley's father is redoing travolta's taxes like they're sitting in front of him so he's sitting there with like i don't even know if he's got one of those green visors on but he's definitely got like one of those um calculator adding machines yeah. with a spool of paper and while yeah. they're having a conversation about what a loser travolta is in front of him and how he doesn't make enough money they're literally punching in numbers and adding up kind of how much he's worth a real kind of like you know keeping an eye on whether or not their daughter is is uh focusing on on money enough sort of in her relationship
4: right and then you cut to uh, well you get to another scene where they're at the house the the parent's house and the mother is again olympia dukakis is again just keeps like throwing out these like Yiddish terms for what a loser John Travolta is. Then she takes a bagel out, separates it, puts cream cheese and locks on it, mm-hmm. and then continues to berate. And this notion being that like these people are real Jewy, they're real into that, like they really are into the the, the, the financial aspect of their daughter's life and of their life. And then this is the craziest part, Andrew. I almost think you should go back and just watch this okay. one scene. We don't have to play it right now, okay. but this is the nuttiest part. There is a moment where um, Kirstie Alley is, is is sort of forced to contemplate the life she thinks that John Travolta is having when they're not together. And it's supposed to be a life of fun, uh, sort of reckless excitement for him. Uh, what happens is her, her, her girlfriend and her brother uh, say, like, well, where do you think he is right now? And the brother says, hey, he's probably getting laid. Also, you cannot deduct those magazines because, (laughs) you know, he's a Travis Bickle accountant. Right. Anyway, um, where the brother says he's probably off getting laid and she's like mad at him because she doesn't want to think about that. And then she goes into this sort of like imagining John Travolta and where he is. And where he is, is he's driving a convertible. Do you remember this scene? Yes.
5: Now that I totally forgot. But now that you say that, I am. I am
4: driving this convertible. he has got this hot blonde. And, uh, she's she's wearing an awesome dress, by the way, she's, it was a very, it was a very cute dress. She's sitting up on the seat and the wind is in her hair. And John Travolta is saying, you know, my wife, my wife would hate this. She, you know, uh, she wouldn't, she wouldn't like the top down. She would say it's going to cause skin cancer. And then he pulls out some cigarettes. She wouldn't like these because he said they would cause emphysema. And first of all, I'm like, I know you guys don't want to just get obsessed on the cancer, but those are cancer more than emphysema. <laughs> right? Like I, they were like, we got it. This is just where I'm annoyed at the writing. They were like, well, the first one, the top down is skin. We got to follow the rule of three. So the top down is skin cancer. Well, the cigarettes, those can't be skin cancer because we've already got cancer. So emphysema. All right, fine. And then the, the alcohol, he goes, she wouldn't like this. He takes a drink out of a bottle that's in a paper bag. While she wouldn't like driving. this you would say it causes liver disease. Like, okay, fine. Let's not even get bogged down in the fact that those are – those are not describing the number one fears most people have associated with those mm-hmm. bad habits. So then John Travolta takes the car over into the lane of oncoming traffic. A semi-truck almost hits them. He wheels it back into their lane and the girl, this you know, hot babe, is thrilled. That's so fun. And John Travolta says, yeah, this is great. My wife would never let me do this. Let's go eat some pork.
5: Oh, God. I've got that scene. Like, I've literally got that scene right here. Do you not want me to yeah, play it? Yeah, it's going to be loud. I don't even to be able to catch it. Listen to the end. He says, let's right. go eat some pork. Okay, let's see here. <laughs> that dress, though. <laughs> Sharp.
4: Whoa, this is great. My wife would never let me drive on the top down. She'd tell me it would cause skin cancer. Did <laughs> she say this because emphysema? <laughs> and this because of liver disease.
3: Oh, man.
5: Oh, what a rush. Oh, man. My wife would have hated that. How dull. I mean, you have to have some fun in
3: life. You know what our idea of living dangerous would be? Forget one of her vitamins. <laughs> what a snail. Hey, let's go get some pork. I <laughs> think...
4: What the? Can they, can you interpret that in any other way as the fact that, like, pork
5: is not kosher? I mean, it was definitely pork. And I guess it's the only thing that makes sense. What, he pork? didn't say corn. Yeah, let's go get some port. Let's go. Let's get some brandy and port. Like, that is really bizarre. Minimum no, I did not. 12 that. years
4: aged. Isn't that <laughs> crazy? He says, let's go get some pork. Like, the, the I don't know. Like, just, it's weird to me. Like, it's. It's definitely like the fact that her character is supposed to be is supposed to be Jewish and whatever I don't know whatever the the associations are with that I guess in this case sort of a negative in a way like is that the most weird ass thing to throw in that
5: is a very very strange thing I and now I understand any... why you have this whole well, <laughs> I, I feel like did you did you hear that first and then you built the rest of the anti semitism argument no, around it
4: no the bagel and locks after the like completely yeah. uh, gratuitous Yiddish threw me I was like that's just weird and then i was saying to Carrie, like are they trying to be like check out this jewy family side note no one played by an actual jew kirstie alley not jewish that i understand olympia dukakis extremely greek sister mm-hmm. of michael dukakis one time uh presidential candidate yeah, i tank believe driver yeah um and <laughs> tank driver and willie horton releaser really, mm. um but uh like it started, I started to be like, this is just like a weird thing they're doing. And then when he yells, let's
5: go get some pork. That like, is really bizarre.
4: N- I, th- I can't think of any other way to
5: interpret that. It's just so bizarre. She's a cousin of Michael Dukakis. Cousin of. Okay. Just so you, you know, I just wanted to double you. check on that. No, it's okay. And it's Elias Coteus, Elias Coteas yes. maybe. I Who know, I love, by the way, and a he's lot of been things. in everything. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's good.
0: Get him. Okay, ladies. What did you think?
2: I loved... That they insisted on talking about this film as if it was a real film that was worthy of being talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was completely ridiculous and a terrible movie.
1: It, bar- Andrew... it barely qualifies as a movie. Andrew... I know. And Andrew you yeah. kept Andrew saying kept, kept <laughs> Did trying make to say this on ago. the
2: weekend. Right. Well, Maybe they, were, maybe they were trying to be arty. I don't know, as he was talking about how bad the cinematography <laughs> is this was. Is thing
1: ironic? Maybe I just
0: didn't understand it. <laughs> I bet that they had come up with that idea, like, let's pretend this is serious, like, Oscar-worthy film that we're discussing. We're just going to go with it. Um, did this make you want to watch the show? Oh, maybe. God, no. No, no. <laughs> Not even a clip of it. No. Not even for the the sperm puppets? <laughs> <laughs> but I love it, when they're talking about the, the sperm puppets and, and then the weird diaphragm and then the talking toilet. And they're like, whatever technology this is, this just needs to stop. Like,
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. When he was talking about how um, it reminded him of Chucky right? when, when, when Roseanne was in utero.
0: <laughs> and they're like, "Is this supposed to be a horror film?" And then... <laughs> the, you know, the reason I love this show
1: so much, I almost can't even talk without laughing. Um, <laughs> is like anyone who has small children understands that you have to watch horrible, horrible movies with your kids, and this movie is not one I would show my child, but it reminded me of movies that I've had to sit with and watch with my child that are so bad. And, and it's like, I was listening to them talk, realizing they don't have young kids. Like Andrew has never had to sit and watch a two hour, you know, Disney straight to DVD movie. He has no understanding that this is what a lot of films out there are like, you know, and I don't know if Luke did that when Addie was young, but Um, Yeah, both of them just, I think, like, this was such a new experience for them to be forced to watch a horrible movie. And I was like, this is my life. I mean, I I have to do this all the time. And not just once. Oh, no. If it's particularly bad, then we need to watch it multiple times. Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it again. Again, Mommy. Again. Again. (laughs)
2: Well, I did enjoy Luke's Travolta impression that he <laughs> you, he used throughout this clip. I mean, it's both terrible and wonderful at the same time.
0: <laughs> and I love when, when Andrew said, oh, good impression of Clinton. Yeah. Because it's so true. Every one of Luke's impressions becomes president, Whether it's Scottish or <laughs> Bill Cosby, it all ends up Clinton. It does. It does. But it's a pretty good Clinton impression.
1: Yeah. Does he ever do an actual Clinton? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> we should hear that. <sighs> but but did you notice they actually like stuck with the concept for the hour and 13 minutes?
0: And went in order.
1: I was blown away by that because, you know, they <laughs> they can't follow a show sheet for the life of them. And of course, I I was listening to it thinking like, you know, if they put this amount of attention onto like, I don't know, their Thrive report, (laughs) (laughs) imagine, imagine the power. (laughs) So I was, I was really curious. I'm like, were they trying to impress Alex Falcone? I mean, what, what do you think was behind them agreeing to do this and then actually doing it? Like that's, I think that's
0: an accomplishment for them. Maybe because they were newish to APM.
1: Oh, the timing.
0: Yeah. Maybe they
1: had to talk APM into it and they were like, eh, we're not sure about this. And so then they thought, okay, (laughs) we, we went out on a limb for
0: this. So we gotta, we gotta be all in on it. I, I also noticed not only did they stick to the show sheet in order, they also both watched the movie. I know all the yes, way through. They
2: did, yeah. <laughs> although I do uh take issue with Andrew deciding to watch it with a couple of other people and chatting through it. <laughs> Think if it's for your job, you might, you know, maybe just sit down and focus
0: on it. But, but at I least he like watched you... it. Yeah, I feel like you have to drink while watching this movie. I was impressed; his friends would agree to watch it. I mean, I
1: would have been <laughs> like, "I am out." <laughs>
0: You. But he, he has a TV club, or at least Genevieve does, where they just watch old, horrible TV shows. So they're, oh, they're used to this okay. is their thing. Okay.
1: That <laughs> makes sense then. Yeah. I couldn't figure out how he talked them into that unless they had maybe seen the original Look Who's Talking and, ha- and, and didn't know how bad the sequel was.
0: <laughs> well, and it's terrible. I don't know if they talked about this in this clip, but there's a third movie. Oh, yeah. Where the dogs and cats talk.
1: Yeah, they talked about it because Andrew even had a moment where he said something about, you know, look who's talking now, where the conceit is that you're listening to the dog's brain. (laughs) It was really bad. (laughs) Well, the
2: horrifying part of that is that it must have made enough money to keep justifying the sequels.
0: Yeah, or something. Yeah, I don't know. Or Travolta had like a five picture deal or something, and they just needed to get out,
1: yeah, maybe they signed they signed a deal for a trio from the very get go
0: yeah, I feel like it Scientology is somehow wrapped up in this, but I can't quite figure it out.,
1: <gasps> I'm so glad you said that because. <laughs> That – I couldn't believe they didn't talk about that. And, you know, I was thinking about this from the context of I just watched that Leah Remini special okay. mm-hmm. about Scientology, which I highly recommend. And um, so I thought, well, I know Travolta is a Scientologist. I know Kirstie Alley was. I don't know if she mm-hmm. still is. I think But then so. that was my my she thought. Is. Yep. She is? Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was my thought was um, Amy Heckerling, who is the director and the writer – you know, she had done Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like, eight years before. She did Clueless, like, five years after. So I thought, what on earth could have caused her to make this horrible film midway through her career? <laughs> and the only thing I could come up with was Scientology. But I mm-hmm. I Googled it, and I couldn't find anything to support her being a Scientologist. But you can't
0: find a not-support of it. <laughs> 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 Well, because she is Jewish, but we don't know right. if if she if she also that's true. is a Scientologist. Yeah,
1: that's true. That's true. Um, maybe you can look into that. Maybe you can go undercover.
0: Oh yes. Yeah. I'll have my own show, like, or I'll just write to what is her name? Lima? Lena Remy? Leah Remini, I yeah, think. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'll just email her. There you I have go. Her email yeah. address.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay. I did a little Google foo here, and oh, okay. I'm on something called adherence dot com. Uh, the religious affiliation of film director Amy Heckerling. Amy Heckerling is Jewish and appears to have a strong Jewish self-identity. And then the next paragraph says, Amy Heckerling is frequently reported to be a convert to the Church of Scientology. Oh.
1: Andrea, that, you are a genius. That would mm-hmm. explain it. I, that's the only reason I could yeah. come up with um, that she but, would have done this.
0: If you look at the, at the list of... Scientology movies that they've been involved in, they're all terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in fact, on the Leah Remini special, the guy who was kind of like the number 2 guy in Scientology and left the church and you know was a big part of the interviews, he had this great comment where he was talking about how Travolta had come with him with to him with the pulp fiction script and said I've been approached to do this movie, should I do it? And he was like, he read the script and he was like, you need to stay as at- far away from this movie as you can (laughs) don't touch it with a 10 foot pole
0: oh i'm glad he didn't listen
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i thought oh yeah if it's got the blessing of scientology then it's gonna tank yeah
0: for sure all right um let's talk about uh look who's shoehorning shoehorning (laughs) (laughs) this was such a great line and so true for this movie
1: so this is Luke noticing that um, they managed to pull in things that have nothing apparently to do with the plot or the story or the characters <laughs> just because <laughs> they want to throw it in. So the classic was when uh, John Travolta led the daycare in a dance because John Travolta has to He's do a that. a dancer. Yeah. And then he has to be a pilot. So, of course, he is somehow a pilot, but an out-of-work I, pilot.
2: I loved this whole discussion about how being a cabbie is not the pathway to working yourself up to being the pilot of a Learjet.
1: (laughs) This is not the typical career progression one would say, well, let me start driving people on the ground. And then if I get really good at it, I can drive people in the air. That was so funny. Well, I do
0: have a note about this. He did drive that car in Greece that flew. (gasps) That's true. At the end.
1: (laughs) The car flew in Greece? I don't remember that. It's so
0: weird. It's such a weird ending. They get in and, you know, she's all dressed up like a greaser. And then all of a sudden they're cuddling in the front car and then the car starts taking off and flying into the air. Oh. So maybe he's always had that in his mind. Like, hey, that would be a good, (laughs) good script point.
1: We're lucky it didn't just like have little wings flip out and kind of turn into a plane so he could be a pilot.
0: Oh yeah. Like those cars that are also a boat. <laughs> the
1: ducks. The yeah. duck cars.
0: But I do I do have another point is that pilots actually commercial pilots start their salaries start at 27,000 a year. So being well, a cab driver and a pilot is mm-hmm. I mean that could happen.
2: No wonder his Jewish in-laws were redoing his taxes and criticizing how little money he made then.
0: Can you <laughs> exactly.
1: imagine? Like they he Andrew was saying they pulled out the calculator adding machine with the tape on it and they were adding <laughs> up his income. You know, can yeah. you imagine in-laws sitting down and discussing their son-in-law's financial contribution <laughs> to their daughter's life? I I mean, it's just so horrific.
0: Yeah. The whole thing is so terrible. <laughs> and then we get in where so to me it feels like this movie was maybe four hours long and they just (laughs) did a lot of terrible editing because at some point a little maybe jewish heritage got thrown in (laughs) but not completely it's never discussed there's a housekeeper that no one ever talks about right but she's there Mm -hmm. um weirdly the brother is kind of a character but not really
1: yeah and and, and um Kirstie Alley seems to have some sort of weird obsession with him, like more than a normal brother-sister relationship. (laughs) That was never explained.
0: And maybe they got divorced and separated because he started dating someone, but not really...
1: Yeah, he talked about the movie having some severe issues in the space-time continuum. And <laughs> that was so true. That was so true. And then I loved Luke's comment that this movie
0: has the internal logic of swish cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and he does have a point about Roseanne is that <laughs> they should have just let her go off. Yeah. Because she's funny when she's being snarky and herself. But reading off a script... Not on her resume. That should be off her LinkedIn right away. She was so And they they only played that one clip of her and it was
2: just so terrible. It was horrible. It
1: was horrible. And what did Luke say? That that wind song that
0: is the voice of Sam (laughs) Bar? When you think of cute little baby, that's exactly who you want the voice to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I I don't know what again, maybe she's a scientologist. She
0: Oh, well yeah. she is Jewish.
1: <laughs> well, there's not generally a connection there. She was like Christine.
0: Jewish and Mormon.
1: Mormon. And, she was Mormon. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. maybe
0: uh, Yeah. She's been married so many times and done so many strange things that it could be possible that she was a Scientologist. I don't know. She, was,
1: okay. she was miserable. She was clearly miserable. And then I love that... Luke threw in that he had heard the trailer at the end of the first movie, Look Who's Talking, had a, a preview of Look Who's Talking 2. And instead of Roseanne Barr, it was actually Joan Rivers doing the voice of the baby. I'm glad she got out.
2: Like, I remember that. I, I did <laughs> see Look Who's Talking once upon a <laughs> time. I have not seen the other two incarnations,
1: but I feel like I remember that.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So you were looking forward to having Joan. You're probably a little disappointed. That's probably why you didn't see look who's talking. Well, she too.
2: read the I, script and was out. Yeah, <laughs> I don't recall that look who's talking was really something that satisfied me that much to tell you the <laughs> truth.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't think that was Oscar winning material. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
1: But
0: oh, uh, definitely a lot better than 2 and 3. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And and Andrew talked about that, the Rotten Tomato rating, you know, how it yep. was, I think, 58% for one, 17% for
0: two, and then does not register for yeah. three. Mm-hmm. i There's a lot of Adam Sandler movies that are zero or do not register.
1: Oh, I had never <laughs> heard of the do not register. So I yeah. wondered what, what sort of movies end up on that list.
2: Well, I, another thing that I thought was kind of interesting as far as Ro- Roseanne goes is that Luke sort of seemed to indicate that he thought that this was Roseanne's fault for all of this. And Andrew was like, well. Cause she's the funniest, right? right. Luke said, well, well, yeah, but what kind of responsibility does Travolta? Bear for this, and Luke said Travolta's gonna Travolta is
0: going to travolt because he's terrible and makes right. bad, bad decisions. Period. But he's the so same
1: it's... terrible in everything.
0: Yes, yes. right. So when yeah. they
2: talked about it, they said, "Well, Travolta doesn't really matter, so we're not going to blame him." <laughs> they seemed to not blame Bruce Willis either. You know, for sitting on the John and and mm-hmm. doing a few lines. They didn't well, even honestly, talk about Kirstie Alley. You know, like she was no. a
0: non-factor. Mm-hmm. They just made Roseanne the bad guy. I, I give no blame to Bruce Willis and Roseanne because they sat in a studio and recorded those terrible lines, probably four hours worth of movie. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out to be that monstrosity. <laughs> so they, they are out on the blame.
1: What about Gilbert
0: Gottfried? He's always to blame. <laughs>
1: And I do. Was it Luke or Andrew who did the Gilbert up all night voice? I think it was Andrew. He did, I a, think good little, so. he did a good I, I little impression
2: think there. That didn't quite make it into the cut for the clip that I used. Mm. So people, I only used half an hour, but this was a whole hour and 15 minute show. If, <laughs> so if go you back need and more
1: hot takes,
2: <laughs> Again, including they, the Gilbert Gottfried talk. They were
1: <laughs> very dedicated to um, following that show sheet and and yes, that movie from
0: beginning to end. Yeah. Everyone is to blame who signed up for this movie and continued and didn't pull out in the middle of it. And the studio is to blame for giving them money and also continuing to a third one.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, continuing to the third one is the clear, really poor decision.
0: I mean,
2: I guess we should just say shame on everyone involved. Involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, do we have more that we need to
1: discuss or should I move on? Um, You know, the only other thing, and this was, again, part of the reason I picked this clip. So I spent a lot of time working with accountants and uh, they're lovely people. They're not typically pictured in movies because they're not a whole lot of fun. Um, (laughs) I mean, stereotype, right, is that they're not a whole lot of fun. And so Luke just went off on the brother who is an accountant and uh, just was was incensed by you know him him making these accounting uh, comments and like saying you know let's talk about deductions that's what accountants do uh, which by the way I know accountant ever that I've been around has ever said that in casual conversation um, but when I You know, I said I listen to this when I'm walking my dog usually. So I was actually in the woods near my house walking my dog listening to this. And when he was going off on the accounting thing and just how stupid it was and he couldn't believe that they were doing this whole accounting story – I just was laughing so hard. I had kind of stopped and I was bent over and I, you know, I think I had my hands kind of up on my face cause I was wiping my eyes cause I was kind of crying too. Mm. And I had my headphones in, so I didn't know that someone had come up behind me and was like, ma'am, are you okay? Are you okay? And I wasn't hearing him. And so he thought I was choking because <laughs> I was bent over and I was shaking. And he told me later, he thought my hands were like around my throat and so all of a sudden, this strange man starts whacking me on the back and <laughs> literally literally thought I was choking because I was listening to this podcast and I was laughing so hard. And so that's one of the reasons this podcast sticks with me so much, too, <laughs> is that it had me bent got, over, yeah. just almost dying because I thought it was so funny how they, they just couldn't believe what a bad, bad movie this was.
0: <laughs> that's such a great story. It was an awesome moment. I'm glad he didn't try to give you the Heimlich and (laughs) one of your ribs or something.
1: Think how scared I would have been, too, if I hadn't been listening to the podcast. Just some random man in the woods starts (laughs) whacking me on the back. No. (laughs) But since I was just laughing, I was like, oh, no, I'm okay. I'm just listening. (laughs) Never mind. You know, like, let me just get out of here as quickly as possible.
2: TVTL brings all kinds of different people together in different
1: ways. It's true. It's true.
2: All right. Uh, Let's tell you how to get involved with the show, shall we? You can visit our website at littleredbandwagon.com. You can always come check us out on Facebook on our page or the Sten's page. Uh, uh, Tweet to us at LRB Podcast. Andrea, what kind of social media presence do you have?
1: Um, So I'm on Facebook a lot. So I'm Andrea Ballard, or you can find me on Twitter at Andrea Ballard. I don't tweet very much, but I'm on there.
2: And of course, if you're interested in baking or in e- eating things that get baked or <laughs> listening to two really fun ladies who make each other laugh and have a good time, please check out Andrea and Stefan on the preheated podcast. I listen to it every week. I listen to it on Tuesday nights when I'm at the grocery store of all places. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's become my ritual as I walk down the aisles to listen to them talk about all kinds of delicious things. So please do check it out. Uh, you can email us with your throw-your-phone moments or anything else that you need to talk to us about at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. And you can always call and leave us a voicemail or a text at 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. Andrea,
0: thank you so much for coming on. And I hope everyone listens to your show. It's amazing. And it'll make you hungry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well... Thank you, guys, for being such a great inspiration for starting a podcast. And thanks to Jeremy, who just brought that offer to help and was so helpful. That was such a kind thing to do.
0: All right. Until next time, this is the next party.
2: And we love you, Jen.
3: Nailed it. Great job. Okay, everyone. Yay.